This is Coda Radio, episode 108 for June 30th, 2014. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, Mr. Fisher. How are you? I'm good. It is... It is feeling like summer over here. I'm like I'm I'm not saying I'm Superman, but what I'm trying to relay to you is that the yellow sun gives me power. You ever? Um, no, you know. So so would you go as far to say that, that you get a funky high off the yellow sun? I mean, is that? <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna go there. No, I I don't know why you you know what you want to know what you want to gives me a funky high. Commercial software. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You said commercial software. So since you and I have spoken last, Mr. Dominic, uh, I have been graced by, you know, we have a really excellent audience. Like, we have the best audience ever. Uh, in fact, uh, I wanna... I'm not sure I would go that far, but keep going. Oh, you know what? That's just a false belief. No. So <laughs> that's Richard a... is out and about today. <laughs> this, this is why I'm telling you we have a great audience. That theory must be wrong. I think that we should all so, make those businesses fail. We've, hey, been re- hey. we've been receiving RMS clips. Like, here's a new one. And we need to teach Canonical a lesson. This is egregious. That program, although it may be attractive, is really a trap. Perverting free software. And I think you'll probably like this one. Look up the moon one day. So we have a really great audience. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been sending us in their favorite RMS clips. Coda Radio at JupiterBroadcasting.com. And uh, thank you everybody who's joined us live on this Monday over at JBLive.tv. You guys, don't forget to bang, suggest, and help us title our show We'll vote on that at the end of the episode. Mr. Dominic, we have a lot of follow-up from last week's episode. Like, you you struck a nerve, I think, my friend. It resonated deep with the people. So are you ready to start with our first feedback? Should we just jump right into that? Yeah, but I just want to interject here. Mm. Unlike RMS, you know, I am the people's champion. I mean, let's let's get real here, right? I'm the Ned Stark of the coding world. Is I, that, is that... I believe that. I believe that. Mm-hmm. So please don't behead me. <laughs> That's all I got to say, Richard. You, I know how you are, you zealot bastard. That theory must be wrong. <laughs> all right. This is going to be so much fun. Oh, no, no. Perverting free software. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going to I'm not going to abuse it. That program, although it may be attractive, is really a trap. What's wrong with that? <laughs> it's a trap. Okay, our first feedback came in from a Team Hello World. And uh, I just, you know, every now and then I like to sneak in a good dissenting view. You know me. And uh, he wrote into the show, he says, Mike, you're kind of missing the point of the JS frameworks. It's a battleground. It's an exciting time for JavaScript. And the development around the languages is getting serious. Ember, Angular, Backbone. They're all fundamentally different. The strong will survive. The weak will die off. And the coders actually came in here to say the same thing. He says, what we are witnessing in JavaScript languages, finally, it's maturing. My money's on Angular for one big reason, the Googs. 
He's uh, he's talking about how you can just kind of look at the interest on Stack Overflow and things like that. What do you think of this? Is is this maybe a different way to look at this? We're seeing things mature. We're seeing the battleground of JavaScript. Uh, yeah, I mean that is the alternate theory to what I said of wasted effort, right? Is yeah. Richard, any, anything there? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I thought I was going to take a break. I didn't want to overdo it. No, uh, he can't overdo it. Oh, okay. Get it out of here. How's that? Is that good? That, that was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is kind of like a you know Roman gladiator theory of software, I guess. Yeah. Throw them all in a pit and see if it's eaten. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't buy that. I still think it's it's wasted effort. Well, I mean, don't we see a lot of things kind of develop that way? A lot of standards kind of come out that way as sort of this weird evolutionary organic thing that takes a long time and is you know not as pretty to as something that's just handed over as a solution. So, right, but how many of those do you need? Yeah, I, I think I think maybe part of what this. I think part of what your core argument is is that some of these are more based on personality and ego and look what I can do and not so much about let's fundamentally figure out a better way to approach this problem, right? Right. A lot of these are the same thing, basically. Yeah. It's my yeah. It, you see it happening on other things too. You see it happen with Linux distributions. You know, there's tons and tons of distributions that are just out there because some guy has a big ego and thinks he should be a Linux distro maintainer. And you got you see the same thing with cryptocurrency. You see tons of different currencies. You see different people doing currency. I, I'm sorry, Kanye Coin is is definitely uh, yeah. There's 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 Max Coin from Max Kaiser. The there's a there's a Let's Talk Bitcoin coin for the podcast. I mean, you know, people can just go off and make whatever they want. And I agree. I think sometimes it actually does. I think it does hurt, actually. I think it does slow things down. I think it does hurt. I think I'm looking, I'm thinking specifically of all of the wasted effort on Linux desktop environments. Look at all of the different desktop environments, and now none of them fits everybody's need. It's none of them are perfect, which you can right. never have a perfect environment. But well, none you of can. Them... It's called Aqua, but keep going. Oh, oh. Well, there's big gaps still. And it, it's, for example, you know, we have people working on Cinnamon, XFCE, uh, GNOME, and 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 mate and all these different things at once. And while there's each has a reason to exist, if if half of those, if half the amount of developers working on those projects just work together on one thing, I think we'd really see something amazing produced. I guess that's just not possible. I guess that's not how the human species works because it seems to be across all things like this. Like look at the space races too. I mean everything, man. It's all like this. So you would like to see the Stargate of JS frameworks, basically? Well, I think what it shows you is um, what seems almost like a burden and cumbersome on the surface can be sort of used and leveraged as an advantage if you have the ability to have an an intuition about what works best for you and how to take advantage of it and can sort of cut through the ambiguity and just plow right into work. That gives you a tactical advantage in a way. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, Mr. Dom. All right. All right. I get you. I get yeah. you. Yeah. Um, okay. One more from, and how do you like this, Nick? I think he, I think he chose this one hoping I'd have to read it on air one day. It's a Kawika Yikikikchen, L-Y-K-W-Y-D-C-H-Y-K-Y-N is how it's spelled. And uh, kind of following up on your thread of, of a little bit of maybe not so much burnout, but, you know, as you just get a little bit older, maybe, you know, you start to sort of narrow down what you spend the amount of hours in your day focusing on. He says, the older and busier I get, the more that I see every new technology represents another N hours of learning I have to do to remain relevant 
and another N jobs I might not be qualified for someday. That said, the alternative of a mono-duo culture is far worse. My approach is just a leg behind the trends a few years and let natural selection take its course. As for JavaScript frameworks, I think the reason we have so many is that between its syntax and varying browsers support JavaScript is at a spot where a little wrapper code can vastly streamline and improve the language. It's remis- is reminiscent of the Lisp curse. Uh, I like I like a couple of things here. It seems a little cynical, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, you know, everything everything new I see coming up represents n hours of my time versus n hours of jobs I might not be able to to take advantage of. But it is a little bit of that calculus. So it's cynical in a sense, but it's also just maybe realistic and pragmatic. Um, and that's kind of exactly the position I find myself in with a lot of things. And sometimes, see, I, I'm fortunate because I also have a community of folks who like prod me and be like, Chris, have you looked at this yet? And I'll be like, ah, oh, all right, fine. I'll you, Everybody shut up. I'll look at it. And then I'll find out it's amazing. Like, I'll be honest with you. Sickbeard was like that. I don't know if you're familiar with Sickbeard, but it... it I am not. What's that? Hello. Well, I just don't know if I want to say what it is. Sick beard. Yeah, sick beard. I don't want to say what it is because I'm not supposed to talk about the first rule of something that it uses. And then, anyways, let's just say you need to back up some content of the maybe weekly uh, TV variety or oh, something. Yeah, it's you a, filthy pirate. Right. <laughs> you filthy, filthy pirate. I hope you get scurvy. Wait, wait. wait. Uh, no, I mean no. It's uh. Uh, this is egregious. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you are a filthy pirate, sir. I have I have young children. I have young children, and they destroy discs. That's all. I, that's my only defense. That's my. That's a that's barely a defense. That's you should be ashamed of yourself. It's negative in the freedom dimension. So, but this was one of those things I never looked at. And then the audience was like, you should really check this out. You should really check it out. And then I was like, all right, fine. I'll make a little crack in my schedule, and I'll take this into my life. And then one day, I did. I was very happy. Fast forward a few years, I said something on Quota Radio, and now I feel ashamed. Circle of life right there. So, see how the community helps? <laughs> uh, all right, let's shake this off. Let's shake it off. This just got weird. It got, it got just weird here. You know what? In fact, let's, uh, let's step it up. Let's class it up. Let's thank our first sponsor this week, DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. Now, if you are, like, on it, if you are, like, a pro, then you can use the promo code CODERJUNE. If you're running a little late, you're running a little behind, I bet you could use the promo code CODERJULY. It's still going to work. And here's what you'll get. You'll get a $10 credit for really any – you could use it for the hourly or if you want to do what I did, get the $5 rig and then you can get it for two months. And so what is DigitalOcean? Because I think once you find out about DigitalOcean, it's almost like a no-brainer. It's simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a new server in about 55 seconds or so, and pricing plans start at only $5 per month. That's the one I've got. That's why I'm saying if you get the $10 credit, you can try it out for two months for free if you use the promo code CODERJUNE or CODERJULY. Here's what you get for $5. 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. That's all right there. That's yours. It's not one of these solutions where you get the surprise bandwidth bill or the surprise CPU bill. Oh, surprise. No, no, no. You're going to get all of it. That SSD back storage means the density you're going to get on this rig is crazy. Plus, it's all wrapped around DigitalOcean's awesome management system. Their interface is simple. 
their control panel is intuitive, and they have an API that you can replicate a lot of the functionality on a much larger scale. One of the best things is, is DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. And I think if you go over to DigitalOcean.com, try one out, use the promo code CODERJUNE, so that way you're not paying anything while you check it out, and just enjoy that dashboard that they've created. Think about the software design that went into this experience to manage something as powerful as a KVM virtual infrastructure in data centers all over the world, integrated with DNS management, droplet deployment tools, one-click application installations like GitLab, WordPress, Drupal, all in one interface that allows you to do these things in minutes. Plus, you can do backups and snapshots as well. It's a pretty cool system, and it really does make you feel like you're living in the future. So go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERJUNE when you check out. Or, hey, you know what? If you're in the future, Coder July. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. SSD power. Okay, Mr. Dominic, we have an email from Brian. This is, uh, we have, uh, let me see. Is it, we have one more? Yeah, this is our last one on the exhaustion topic, okay? So I don't want you to get exhausted. This comes in from Brian. He says, you and Michael couldn't have timed this show better. I've been thinking about the exact same thing for all of the different frameworks, as he puts them in quotes, that are out there. My company is trying to move to a new platform for some really aged stuff. And I'm excited about this because I've been pushing for a move for a while. My concern is that the R&D team has started to look at the options and they'll become completely overwhelmed by all the choices. And they'll be pushed back to a Windows-only .NET crapola because at the very least, it's you-get-what-you-get type framework. I personally despite or despise Microsoft and their locked-in stuff. The results of .NET development tend to be bloated, full of memory leaks and all kinds of horrible crap. The devs, of course, love it because it's quote-unquote easy by comparison to what else is out there. So long story short, I know it's too late already, I agree 100% that the options in coding have become outrageously ridiculous. I propose that while this is horrible for the dev trying to keep up, this is great for the companies that have to that have to open new positions to the public when they have a candidate in mind already. So, Mike, do you think all of these choices might be good for the companies in some ways, for hiring or leverage like that? Uh, it's probably terrible for if you're hiring people, right? I would think so. Because more diversity in terms of technologies means that the supply is spread over more options. Therefore, supply of a particular technology is lower than it would be, so supply and demand, it's more expensive. I would also add that the staff that are generally doing the hiring and things like that, uh, anything right. that makes that process more complicated for them, where they have to you know, know more uh, specific you know, esoteric things about the hiring uh, uh, a candidate, anything like that um, is going to just make that process suck for companies. So, yeah, yeah. But... Good luck on the transition there, uh, Brian. Yeah, good luck on the transition. Um, that's all I think all we have for him. I yeah, mean, that's all we have. I mean, if you don't like .NET, you don't like .NET. Yeah, I, I think that's his opinion. I, I think that seems like he was generalizing .NET to me. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's – I mean, if you want to talk about bloated, it's no more bloated than Java, right? <laughs> I mean, And it's all about how you do implementation. Right, how you're using it. But, you know, it's just interesting that – Again, Java and .NET do literally the same thing, basically, right? Java the platform, not Java the platform. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I, I, once, I think I once said on the show that .NET is kind of like Microsoft's Java, but I think that's wrong. I don't think it's so much that. I think it's more like 
if Microsoft, like if my, it was Microsoft's vision of something like what Java could have been. So it's so similar in a lot of ways. It's not, it's not Java, but it's so similar in so many ways. It's fascinating too to see um, all of the same assumptions and uh, sort of critiques that Java's gotten over the years now also being tossed onto .NET. Right. So it's kind of gotten all the same baggage as well, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> sorry there, .NET. Uh, uh, you know what the thing about .NET is, and then we'll get off .NET is, uh, it is like it has it has a lock on the in on the internal like intranet app development space like you wouldn't freaking believe, and it's great for system administration of Windows environments too. So the, .NET has so much usage; it's probably you know I mean, it's probably beyond anything we could imagine. Zach, and I don't know if it's a uh, 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 friend of the show, Zach, or, uh, well, of course he's a friend regardless, but he writes and he says, hey guys, to follow up with a question about Linux as a platform to support developers, which is what somebody wrote in about last week, you rightfully said that there is a difference between if it could be a good fit and if it is a good fit. I've published some desktop apps in the Ubuntu Software Center and had good experience, but unfortunately I have not published or responded to updates I've submitted many months ago to many apps. Because Ubuntu is neglecting desktop app developers, I can't help but lose hope in Linux ever being a solid choice for developers and may personally move away from Linux on the desktop because of this. Zach, that hurts, man. Oh, it cuts so deep. It cuts so deep. Mm, does Does a desktop have to have a successful commercial app store to be a success for developers? Um, I feel like that's not the right benchmark, but I'm not sure if maybe it is. So, I, you know, I, I like his email, actually. I like Zach's email. I, I feel like if his argument was just that the Ubuntu Software Center wasn't a success, I would be totally down with that because <laughs> it's kind of an abject failure, right? But is the desktop operating itself a failure for developers? I mean, I know... Well, it's funny. I used to know plenty of developers who worked on uh, Ubuntu in particular, yeah, and were doing like web and backend technologies. But now, almost all of them are on the Macintosh. Oh, why you got? Jeez, well, just get just, my hopes uh, up, and then you then you let me down. Uh, well, I you know, and I look at I look at uh, conferences that I see going on, and uh, I mean, yeah, it's the same freaking thing. It is the same freaking thing. Um, and part of that is because you can run Linux on them, so some folks do that. Uh, I, I, what I tend to think of is what, what Linux offers is a great desktop for technical people who want something that is platform agnostic that <clears throat> won't be, isn't going to be pushed one direction or another because the company has an overall goal or trend or vision. You know, I'm kind of referring to Windows 8 here, obviously. Or, you know, uh, who knows? Who knows what the future holds with OS 10? You never know. Um, and and if some people just don't want to be married to that uncertainty, they sort of want to have a little more control over their their workstation's future, and they don't need the app store necessarily. Sure, it'd be nice, but you know what? There's a package manager. I'm sophisticated enough as a developer. I can install packages from the package manager. I can deal with that. I've got Chrome. I'm good there. You know, I've got all my different uh, you know email applications that I tend to like, et cetera, et cetera. I could see a world where Linux fills that role. I don't know if it's ginormous, but what I do know is the people who would be using it in that role are people who pay for stuff. So if you're writing the right application for the right market, I think those people would pay for stuff. So I think the other thing is, 
know, even on the Apple side, we're seeing that straight software purchases you know, aren't as terribly effective as they uh, as they used to be, right? So, and I'm not sure that I would really believe this argument. One could make the argument that Ubuntu was just a little late to the party, right? Where your where your application is now part of a larger service, right? That you're monetizing the service, not the application, right? And and in, in that regard, that's in most cases means that that thing's going to have a web app component to that. You know, there's some web front end that you could just use under Linux. Uh, so you see, as more things do go more software as a service and, and in the cloud, then uh, you could see how it doesn't matter if it's Ubuntu or Fedora or SUSE, right? It, it could be anything. Uh, just like it could be and likely will be for the large majority Chrome OS. I really think Chrome OS has already sealed the deal. I think we're sitting here talking about what Linux distro is going to be successful. Yeah. Well, Chrome OS is already successful. Well, it's funny. Even on my Mac, I have the Chrome app launcher, and I'm just, you know, there used to be maybe no apps in there other than the stupid Google ones. Now I have, let's see, I have Postman, Hootsuite, Trello, TweetDeck, Spotify, uh, Slack, yeah. Gmail, Google Docs. Yeah, I got a, uh, yeah. I was even trying out an FTP client the other day. Yeah, uh, Evernote. I don't use the Mac Evernote anymore. I just use the Google Chrome one. So I'm thinking, you know, this would never. Ha- I was my my sort of back pocket like personal hope for I/O was a updated Pixel at a much more reasonable cost. Because I have to be honest with you, even though I have concerns about Google, my current workflow, I could use a Chromebook very easily. Um, right. And if they had something like like sort of like the Pixel at the three hundred dollar price point, I think I would buy that over a tablet. And I think Google could get it to there. And so I think once they start getting something that's really high quality, maybe not quite pixel-level quality but close to it at a lower price point, I I think Chrome OS is going to sell like hot freaking cakes, especially because it's a little bit of an alternative to tablets, which people have had for a little while. And a lot of them are buying keyboard cases. And, oh, my gosh, now I get the keyboard, I get the touchscreen, I get the web browser with the apps. Bob's your uncle. I buy a Chromebook. Now millions of these things are shipping the top 10 laptops on Amazon, like Google said, are already Chromebooks. Chrome OS is already one. That's Linux. Uh, I'm not sure I do it quite that I far, mean, the right? Linux desktop battle. Just just that. I, 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 think it, I think it's locked it up. I think it's – I mean, there's still – but there's still going to be lots of people that run all the other distributions too. We'll see. Yeah, see, I'm not sure that – I'm not sure that Chromebooks are going to have the market that you want, Right. Right. Yeah. At not, least as yeah. an independent software vendor, right. I'm pretty sure. You know, schools, government, places like that. Sure, but. Right. Yeah. 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 That's very true. Well, I still think uh, guys like uh, you and me of the future. Well, it could be Linux candidates. I mean, I'm 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 happily living on my Archbox right now. And the only time I really ever miss something is when I'm doing a dedicated task like video editing, and then I just have a Mac for that. So for me, the way I've done it is Linux for everything, and then I have job, pur- I have purpose-specific machines that are just sort of like I go to those machines when I'm doing that particular task. And if I didn't do those tasks, I, I mean, there's not much I couldn't do on Linux right now. It's pretty much all there for me because most of it's either you know uh, a native local application or a web application. So there you go. That's I don't know. We'll see. We'll see, Zach, but it's a a good question. 
it, it, it is a challenging time right now, that's for sure. Hey, we had uh, some last-minute uh, feedback sent in by uh, Rusty in the chat room, which uh, I added here to the doc. Uh, so uh, Rusty Fox wants to make sure that we mention the Rust language has an update coming. He says, uh, could you mention this in the show, perhaps the feedback, that Rust 0.11 will be released tomorrow. It's an extremely cool language from Mozilla, and only a few people know about it right now. There's even a game engine written in Rust, and he links us to uh, the uh, Piston game on uh, GitHub. And he says, Rust is perhaps the only language which could save us from the low-level folks like C++. Oh. 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 Yeah, no, so... Chris, I, I, you know, I've been writing a lot of C++. You want to be uh, saved? Uh, well, I, I want to be saved from the platform I'm writing it for. But... Oh. Which platform? It is a failing. Well, it's a Canadian platform. Oh, 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 that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, so Rust is a safe, concurrent, practical language. It says rust-lang.org, and they have a new release tomorrow from Mozilla. So there you go. Hmm. 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 Yeah, I don't know a lot about Rust. No, I'm going to check it out though, because I've heard. I've also seen some folks talking about it in our subreddit, and so it kind of. It kind of it, it was rattling around in the back of my mind, and then when Rusty stopped in our live chat, see another reason to join us live on the Coda Radio Show. When Rusty stopped in, he's like, "Yeah, you should check it out, and it's really cool." And they got a release, and here's a game engine that's already written in it. I was like, "Snaps, boy, thanks." So, we'll have a link to that in the chat room. All right, well, we got uh, some hoopla to jump into, but first, I want to thank Linux Academy, another sponsor of the Coda Radio Program. Go over to linuxacademy.com/coders, and that way you can save twenty percent, my friends, off the lifetime of your account. This is Probably not a deal that'll last forever, too. So you want to take advantage of this why you can, because it's a, that's a really great benefit. Linux Academy is an amazing resource. They have step-by-step courses that let you self-pace and teach yourself something that maybe is something that would make you more effective in your job, something that might make you more employable, or an area that you've been wanting to expand into. And just recently, too, we were, I, I can't, uh, was it uh, on the Flow Show? We had an email on the faux show, and the guy was trying to kind of zero in on what he wants to do system administration-wise. And the benefit of something like Linux Academy and the model they have that while you have an active account, you just get access to all of the course material. You can try out everything. Go in there and see what you have a knack for. See what kind of speaks to you intellectually, what, what makes you curious. And the great part is they have self-testing and pace tracking, so you can go in there, try a little bit when you have a half hour one night, go back maybe Saturday if you've got a couple of hours to stash some time in there, and you can keep going. And if you feel like, have I forgotten something? Take a self-test. They've also got course material you can download and save offline. You can get uh, audio versions and video versions of uh, course companion material. And the, gra- the greatest thing is, if you're somewhere in the course and you need to try something out on a live server, in the back end, the course material triggers off their automated system that these guys have built from the ground up to spin up a virtual server for you. This is awesome, too, if you're taking some of their AWS courses, which they're adding to all of the time. Again, another reason why it's a great benefit to become a subscriber, because they're adding new content all the time. So like the AWS Certified SysOps Administration, right, or the Certified Solutions Architect. When you're taking these courses, and you're, they, not only do you get an AWS instance that's part of your service already, so you don't have to worry about that cost, but they're giving it to you with scenario-based training. So you work through a solution that involves EC2 and S3 and Amazon Web Service, all of these things connected together. So that way, when you go out to deploy a solution in the real world, maybe something you're billing somebody for or something that you've committed to your employer for, you've already gone through an actual scenario-based deployment. So you're already comfortable and familiar with the process. It's a really great way to learn, and it's backed up by a really active community. 
new content being added all the time, and folks that are crazy passionate about supporting Linux, training people on these kinds of things, and getting the word out there. Check out the course study notes. You can run any 7-plus Linux distributions, and the courseware will automatically adapt to the distribution that you choose. It's super cool. So go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders to save right now. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a really big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Mike, you know, after uh, Google I.O., uh, I was sort of provo- just sort of going through everybody's Google I.O. coverage. And I have to tell you, uh, one plucky, uh, adventurous tech startup on the East Coast really caught my attention with their write-up of Google I.O. It was extremely glowing and positive. Uh, this company is all in on Google. Uh, you might have heard about them. It's Fingertip Tech. And on their uh, on their official blog, yeah. yeah, they they had a Google I/O 2014 recap. Five reasons why Fingertip Tech is excited about Google I/O. Tell me, Mr. Dominic, are you excited? I am actually surprisingly excited. <laughs> yeah, um, and it, so I we, we put up five reasons here. Right, I did not personally write this, but number one was material. The, just. Okay, so just as a little sidetrack, do you notice how Google had to bring on stage the guy with the long hair and the hipster outfit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, no, guys, he's a real designer. Right, Look yeah. Dresses. Look how hipster he is. He must be legit. <laughs> this guy. This guy would never drink Starbucks right here. Yeah. <laughs> AeroPress is just right off stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I did notice um, that, yes. But anyway, I actually like the material design. I think it's the right direction in terms of aesthetics. You don't feel it's too heavy-handed. It sort of mandates one one interface for all. Well, I think that's the way all the other platforms are going, though, right? So it's very familiar in terms of iOS 7. Yeah, and Windows Mobile. And Windows Phone, yeah. Phone, right. The, the thing I would say is that I'm a little concerned how do they... They're not going to be able to backport material, right? And, you know, my HTC One M8 is still not on the newest version of Android. Right. And I have, I, I definitely notice I have apps that span several generations now of, of, of theme looks. I have some older apps that are still extremely useful, but just they haven't updated the UI. Yeah. Well, my concern is, though, what's going to happen when you have these, you know, new material apps on your phone and then your phone is still Samsung Android? Right. Is it going to clash? Is it going to clash? Yeah. But that brings me right into my next thing, where Google is controlling the visual experience of Android Wear. Not just Android Wear, my friend. Android Auto, Android TV, and the big one, Android One, their new emerging markets initiative also. All updates for all these devices directly from Google. The UIs cannot deviate. Like, for example, the the, uh, Google Music app and the Spotify app on Android Auto look exactly the same, just the colors and the logo change. What do you think of that? I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, I wish they had gone a step further and said all subsequent Android phones must adhere to these UI guidelines, period. Yeah, and I, 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 I am glad they're doing this, but I'm also so angry. I am so mad because it is an acknowledgement of the fact that they they screwed it up from the beginning. They had a chance to make this right because it was a new platform after we had learned the lessons of the bad PC days. They had an opportunity to nail this at launch, and instead they punted for market share. And now now that they have the position and power and authority and, and nuts, frankly, 
Right. Now they'll do it. Now now they'll do it. So someone in the chat, and let me see if I can get his name, is uh, Alex Bell, makes a good point, though. Because Material's not in the Google Play services package, you literally have to have the updated OS to do this. Um, I wonder so, if Android 1 could eventually become... Android, period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way... I think. So the other thing is this problem is a problem only nerds care about, right? That's true, yeah. Well, and, and developers that are making the apps. And that, developers. Yeah. But when, when Joe, you know, Joe Consumer goes and buys an Android phone, he doesn't necessarily know that Samsung Android is not Android. But Samsung, please don't render the colors differently. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I don't, I guess I'm harping on Google too much for it. I just, yeah. so there's something else that uh, was one of the post-IO uh, interviews was uh, with uh, one of the lead uh, Android engineers, and um, they were asked, just point by point blank, I covered this in Tech Talk today, what's the future of the Nexus program? Are you shutting down the Nexus program? And he said, no, we're not going to shut down the Nexus program. We can't. The reason we can't shut down the Nexus program, Google says there's no way to build a mobile operating system unless you build it specifically for a specific device. That's why Google... must have been like... Preach it, brother. Preach it. I mean, to hear that is so frustrating because it acknowledges right. essentially Google's been this whole time been like, no, we can make a general purpose platform that works across all these devices. It doesn't need to be specific to any particular phone, any particular device. Don't worry about that. This is the future. This is this is this is the way it is now. It's cool. And the re- and the but in reality, they too are building for a single device because it is the most sane way to build an operating system that's as, that is as comprehensive as Android. So I feel like what we got this last couple of weeks was major admissions to things that people have been questioning, like, but this doesn't make any sense. All of a sudden, Google's like, yeah, you know what? We should be controlling the experience, so we're going to be doing that from now on. And, oh, yeah, you know what? It is better when you build your operating system for a specific device. It turns out that's a better way to build an OS. Isn't that major reversals? It feels, I mean, I definitely, I hear what you're saying. It, it feels a little disingenuous of them, right? Because how many years have they been saying, you know, that they're the more open, free alternative, and when they're saying actually the closed, tightly coupled way was the way to go. And I, I can totally understand why they do it. It makes a lot of sense. So what it, But what it means to me is that, and I guess that we kind of already knew this, is that all other versions, all other Android phones except for the Nexus phones, the operating system wasn't built for that device, and it's been right. manipulated to work on that device. It's not, it's not the intended implementation if it's not on a Nexus device. So essentially, if you want the intended Android experience, I mean, we kind of right. already knew this, but this really seals the deal. You need to buy a Nexus device. Again, the Nexus devices aren't a huge percentage of the market, though, right? Yeah. So... Yeah. But, okay. And, yeah, it, it's... That's 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 Android's. I mean, that's just an Android thing. What did you think about there? What did you think about like the Android TV initiative and the Android Auto? So for me personally, the biggest thing was actually Volta. Because um, as a user and a developer, the biggest pain I have on Android is just the battery life isn't quite where I would like it to be. Sure, sure. Um, and you know, it's like a blame button, right? Both in the way as a user, if I see certain apps are using a ridiculous amount of battery, I'm going to delete them. But also as a developer, during debug time, I can now more efficiently test my apps for memory usage. 
Yeah, I'm glad to see. I think the thing I like about Material is I, I like the attention to making things look nice. And the thing about Volta is it also is like, hey, yeah, we're going to give you new and shiny, but we are also working on on trying to just get that battery. Also, art uh, should, I think, help with battery life a little bit as well. Again, yeah, another huge but very nerdy, very developer change. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about some serious performance increases. Well, and tip of the hat to Google, too, because they're cha- they can change that kind of thing out on the fly, right? And how much work is it going to cause developers? None, right? As far as I know, they don't even have to touch their apps. No, none. You just recompile. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. That's a, I mean, that, that's, that, I like that kind of thing. So there is definitely some good stuff here. Uh, what did you think about um, Android apps on Chrome OS? Did you understand how they're pulling that off at all? You know, it it looks like some sort of emulation. I'm I'm a little more skeptical about this. I don't I don't know that there's a need for this. Well, I, I mean, like we just talked about how there could be a lot of Chromebooks selling, and now you write an Android app, and it's also available to that same Chromebook market. That could be a lot of people, right? And you could like okay, so you brought up Chromebooks and education, a huge growth area for Chromebooks, right? Well, what if what if a lot of these schools also want Android tablets? Now you could make an application for that school district that runs on their tablet and runs on their Chromebook. That's a genuine, legitimate, full fledged application, not a web application. That's actually kind of compelling, I think. I mean, I don't know if there's like a really super wide market use for it, except for like obviously like things like Evernote, but in terms of like businesses enterprises and schools it, it it sort of gives you a consistency across google products even though they're not the same operating system i just wasn't clear on how widespread the android apps on chrome os thing was because they only showed a couple of things they didn't say if they have like a a runtime that runs on x86 or if they have somehow ported those apps I, they weren't clear on that in the keynote i, I couldn't tell interesting though i gotta ask you about where what do you think oh god um. Yeah. the the Moto Moto three sixty does look pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Did you Did you watch the yeah. keynote? Did you hear the audience go "oh" yeah. when they said it wasn't yeah. available? <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Because the yeah, I'll tell you too. The LG and Samsung watches look like clunkers. I don't. I yeah. Just... Well, one interesting thing is, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of interesting integration points for developers. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely. I mean, all of this stuff is spot for developers to to send their applications. So, overall, now, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I mean, you know, as a user, there there's going to be some privacy concerns with <laughs> well, pretty much all of this, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think that tempers some of my excitement. Yeah, and that's kind of the elephant in the room. Whenever you're talking about Google and Android and that whole thing, it's okay, but. You know, one thing is they could tell you exactly how many selfies were taken and how many of them were, I think, like duckies or duck faces or something yeah. stupid like that. Yeah, they, it's almost like it was almost like a little like like a little a little nudgy way to say, yeah, we can get data out of all this stuff, and this is how we can show you this data. This just, it was like a little kind of nudge, wink, wink example. I thought it was a little well, to be honest with you, creepy because it was one of those things that went by. And then about 30 seconds after it went by, I went, wait a minute, how do they, oh, they probably are analyzing every picture. Right, and and what else are they analyzing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there's some. Uh... Well, and like, what do they analyze when you, uh, when you use the voice command on the watch? If somebody's yelling in the background of your, of your uh, audio prompt, 
Uh, do they analyze every time there's an emotional response in the background of your? Do they somewhere in the background keep a profile of, uh, of you know how many times there's somebody angry? They very well could be. Um, and the other thing that I think is interesting is like I looked at my Google Now cards today, and uh, you know they had the time to my kids' daycare on there, which is helpful. But now Google knows that I put my kids in daycare and what days I'd put them there, and you know what time I'd n- normally be leaving to pick those kids up, uh, and that's. A little weird because I don't know if I necessarily want to have have in some checkbox in some database in Google that I have kids in daycare. I think I sure. you know that's just for me for some reason it doesn't sit well with me. Uh, I feel like that's personal information. I don't know why. Um, so there is this sort of give and take, and, and I, I I've been asking myself recently if I would actually be more okay with less functionality but more privacy, and I I think it's a pretty clear yes. In fact, I don't even I didn't really find it to be that much of a question, the more of the question is how do I actually pull it off? How do I get something functional that works well enough for me, that provides me the functionality and, uh, you know, also is in a device that I actually want to have? Um, and so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in an interesting time right now. I've been trying out Ubuntu Touch, Firefox OS, and the latest Android on my Nexus 5, and right. uh, it's not really working for me on any of them, to be totally frank about it. Ooh, that's not great. Yeah. So, I... I have uh, the great folks at uh, Ting are going to uh, send me an iPhone 5 to try out for a little while. I'm going to give it a go with iOS 8, see how that goes for me, because I've tried all the other ones. So I'll report back on that sometime, because I won't be under any NDA. You'll be an Apple fanboy shortly, don't worry. Um, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I think the 5 screen's probably too small for me. But we'll see. We'll see, Mr. Dominic. Uh, we do have a book recommendation to cover before we get out of here. Do you want to do that, or do you got anything else on the Google I.O.s? Let's do it. All right, Nick wrote in, and he said, After the discussion this week uh, about Google disrupting markets by introducing a free competitor, I thought I should recommend this audio book. It's called Free, The Future of a Radical Price by Chris Anderson. Basically, his big idea is that eventually all digital services will be free, or at least one of the competitors will make their offering free. He describes the economic forces that make this inevitable for all digital products. Fittingly, the book itself is free to download. He includes a link to that. Uh, He says, if I'm honest, the author has me convinced. Now I'm just trying to figure out how to be in the position to profit from this in the future while all the curmudgeons are complaining about their antiquated business models. Wow, Nick. Thanks for the book recommendation. That sounds pretty compelling. Uh, Mr. Dominic, where would you like to send folks throughout the week while uh, we're between fingertiptech.biz. Oh, I noticed you had a .biz for that blog, too. You're pretty fancy. You got the fingertip.technology, too, right? Man, you're just yeah, all over the both. place. You're all over the place with those. You know what? I Here's a domain I don't give out too often. jblive.info. Huh? jblive.info. It gives you uh, an option to have an MP3 stream of... Uh, either like a high quality, like 128 kilobit, or a low quality. If you're maybe on mobile, need to save some bandwidth, or you know, on the on the road, then you could tune in live because we do the show live Mondays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Wait, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, over at jblive.tv, and you can help name our show, hang out with us. We have a little pre-show time too, so it's always a good time. Don't forget, we also want your feedback over at jupiterbroadcasting.com and click that contact link. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.